following presentation from the Utah Open Source Conference held August 28th through 30th, 2008 is underwritten by KnowledgeBlue. OpenBlue ERP CRM Solutions, VoiceBlue, Virtual PBX, Call Center Services, LearningBlue, Learning Management Services, and more. Our mission is to help grow your company. Our whole business model is built around your future growth. KnowledgeBlue.com Streaming and podcast hosting bandwidth for this and many other presentations at podcast.utos.org has been provided by Tier 4. The presentation entitled Speeding Up Database Development with Genormous was given by Brian Hawkins. Thank you all for attending. The title of our presentation today will be Speeding Up Database Development with Genormous. Our speaker will be Brian Hawkins. Brian has a bachelor degree from Weber State University and a master's degree from BYU. He worked for five years as a software engineer for Novell, and he has spent the last two years doing web and database design for Lingotech. I'd like to remind everyone that this room is being sponsored by Nobel's Open Source Technology Center. Please visit the OSTC information booth in the Expo Hall. At this time, I'd like to go ahead and turn the time over to Brian Hawkins. You're too kind, too kind. decongestion right now, and my head's just going, anyway, so um, I'll try and stay focused here. Uh, let's see, um, so let's, so okay, so Ito, I worked at, I work at Lingotech, um, we actually use this, this uh, open source project with our software that's in production on uh, a web app, web service application, to, we use it to interface with our database. Um, so let's, let's kind of start off here. With um, some bad SQL. Now let me actually let's let's kind of back up for a second. Hold on a second. So how many is familiar with um, any kind of ORM solution like Hibernate, anything? Ibatis, kind of sort of. Anybody? Okay, nobody's used ORMs. Okay, that's actually interesting. I I gave this presentation last week to the Utah Java User Group, and like everybody was familiar with something, and I tuned the presentation differently, and so hopefully we'll still introduce you to some stuff. So anyway, uh, so here's some code. This is a code I wrote, oh, many moons ago. It was just horrible, horrible, nasty way to do SQL code inside the code. For, you know, there's, there's lots of reasons this is just a bad way of doing your SQL inside of your, your Java code. Uh, the first one is it's unsafe. Why is it unsafe? Yes, thank you. Uh, you can I can inject some nastiness into some of these parameters if I were able to to comp compromise the machine. So, also poor performance. What is the poor, what is the performance problem with with putting your SQL together like this? You know? Well, we're counting a string every time, but the thing is, the database can't uh, store these queries. If we're using a prepared statement, people familiar with prepared statements? Prepared statements, the database can actually cast the query. And so the next time, if it does some optimizations on that query, the next time you use that same query, you can say, oh, I've already optimized and figured that one out, and it can pull it out of its cache. The other thing is it becomes very hard to unit test your SQL this way. If your SQL is kind of embedded in the nastiness of your code, it becomes very difficult to try and test it out to make sure your queries are correct. So this is, this is where I came from. I, came, I did this a long time ago, and I was starting to interact more with the database in the in my, my current position where I'm at, and I wanted something better than just using prepared statements, but I wanted something, I wanted to use an ORM to access my database, but a lot of the ORMs that are out there have a pretty steep learning curve on them, and I'm, and as, I ended up using one, it was a simple ORM, and it, it was a pretty good, it was a pretty good solution, and I liked it, except 
it, it took too much control away from me and what I could do with the database. It kind of limited to me in what I could do, interact with the database. We'll get into that a little bit more later. But anyway, I wanted, I wanted to, to write, to use my own SQL. So why, why would we want to use SQL at all? Or would we want to just go straight on? Why would we want to use our own, write our own SQL statements? What? Yeah, you, you, you get joins, you can do group buys. There's, there's lots of reasons. One is efficiency. If you have control over the SQL, SQL statements that you're writing, you can actually tune your, your statements. No problem. Just don't do it again. <laughs> so you can actually tune your SQL statements to your database. Every database, they all work a little indifferently. And a lot of them will process their queries differently. But if you understand how they can do that, you can actually turn, tune your query to that database and know how they optimize so that you can actually get your query done in lots faster times. Um, one, one of the good thing, uh, a good point of this is, like if you're doing joins, you're joining together lots of uh, tables to get a query back. Um, if you can just let the database try and optimize the query for you and just basically say select from all these tables and then you just put a big where clause that kind of wears them all together. Um, but you can also do actual join statements. If you, if you do the, the, the first way, just by selecting from all these tables, the database will try and figure out which ones to join first. And it has a little algorithms that they go through, and they, they do a pretty good job of it. But they're kind of guessing when they do that. They're guessing at the type of data that's in your tables. And sometimes they might guess wrong. And they might join two tables first that it takes a horrible performance. But if they had to join a third one in first, they would have eliminated a lot of the result set up front, and then the rest of the joins would have been very, very fast. So that's the kind of optimizations that you can do if you write your own SQL statements, is that you can tune that and tune your joins and your statements so that the database is optimized for your queries. Um, and also there's uh, database-specific operations. Uh, I was in a class. Uh, it was a while ago, and I, uh, we're learning about is an Oracle database. They're usually the ones that kind of the push the, the envelope of what you can do with SQL statements. They actually had a query that we could do um, that was a hierarchical query. And so you could actually do a query that had, where you had records that had parent-child relationships, and you could do a query that would go up and down that parent-child relationship and gather sib or siblings and ancestors in the query statement. Really kind of cool stuff, but nobody else can do it but Oracle. So there's a reason. Hey, I want to do that in my database. Well, if I'm using a pre-canned ORM solution that does everything for me, I don't have that kind of control. I can't write my own statement to do what I want it to do. So that's some of the frustrations that I had. It's like, I want to be able to control this at my level. I don't want to give up complete control to my ORM solution. I want to be able to write my SQL. I want to have control over that. So let's look at some goals that I tried to go through when I was creating the, this project. Um, I took some ideas from SimpleOrm that had some good ideas, and I, I said, well, I think I can make these a little bit better. And so I, I took some of these, and I wanted, number one, I want to be able to use to find my SQL statements so I could do whatever I wanted. Um, <coughs> the framework, I wanted a framework for unit testing my SQL statements. So I want to be able to make modifications, and then run a unit test or something that would validate that SQL before I actually put it into production or in even running in a system test. Um, so I wanted, obviously, an object view of my tables. That's the whole point of the ORM, is to give me an object view of my, of my data that's easier for me to work with within my code. Um, I want it simple to use. Confident schema changes. Now, that's an interesting one. I wanted to be able to change my database schema and be sure that my code is going to run on that change schema in my database. And this was one of the things they'd always, you know, I took database classes and they were, you know, it's like the, the big sin was never change your database schema. Well, because, you know, if you change your schema, you could bust all the code that's accessing it. And the reason why was because, like that first slide, I had a query somewhere embedded in my code that was relying on certain tables and columns to be there. If I eliminated those, I would never find that break in my code until I got, it actually hit that piece of code in some sort of system test. 
that hit it. So I wanted to be able to change my database and have that reflected in my code somehow so that it would break either at compile time, which is my preference, or have it break at in a unit test, an easily run unit test. And of course I wanted to mix, minimize the amount of XML that I used. I, I don't know if I really got that last goal, but we tried. I tried. So, okay. So why do you want to generate source code in the first place? Oh, yeah. So, Genorma stands for Generated ORM, and then I just slapped on an OUS. Genormous. Yeah, it was fun. I had a coworker that said, hey, you name it Genormous, because I was going to call it just GenORM for Generated ORM. But he's like, oh, call it Genormous, because he just heard that it was just added to the data or to the dictionary. So, Genormous is actually a word now. And name our project, so I thought it was cool. Anyway, small side note. <coughs> okay. Uh, whatever. I'm, it's just blame the cough medicine rather than. Um, okay, so so I don't want to generate source code. I first started doing this when I was working at uh, a previous employer, and and we had um, a project that was written in C that we wanted to access uh, XML DOM-like objects, um, but we needed to write a bunch of kind of middleware code that would make e you know, ease our access to these DOM objects. It would ease writing them and, and reading from them. And so what I came up with is, is looking into it, we had schema definitions for all of our XML that we were passing around. And I found that I could actually write a program that would read the schema, the schema files, and then generate source code that would read that particular schema. So if we had a schema that defined some XML object, I could generate a class that was tuned specifically for reading and writing to that XML DOM object. And it was hugely successful because I could then write, because it was very simple actually just write this one little piece of, bit of template code and then I ran it on all the schema and it generated, you know, three, four hundred class objects that were all then used to access and read the schema files. And it was all based off the schema. So it was, it was really successful, and it was really easy to use. So what you want to use generated source code if you have some sort of a definition file that you have access to. Now, in that case, I had an, an XSD that defined the XML that I was trying to read. Now, in this case, with Genormous, where I'm going to show you we're going to have a little uh, an SQL uh, file that defines your tables. So we have a definition of our tables, whether that's in an XML or actually if you just read the database and figure out what the table structure is. That becomes your definition that you're going to, that Genormous is going to base off of to generate all these objects for you. <coughs> the other one is performance. Now, I, I talked to some other developers about this, and, and, and I, I get kind of caught up sometimes in, in performance issues, and maybe that's just some of my background, that I, I spend a lot of time nickel and diming little code to get it faster and faster and faster. Uh, but some other developers said, well, when you're working with a database, the slowest thing is going to be your database. And I'm not sure that's entirely true. Uh, a lot of databases, there's been a lot of research done in database performance and making your, your databases, your relational databases run very, very fast. And they do run fast. Um, what I find is if there's slowdowns, it's usually in your abuse of the database in your code. <coughs> One of the, I was working on a project just not too long ago, and, and I kind of got brought in, and it was you know new to me. <coughs> I was I brought in to, to uh, debug some problems with it, and it's interesting. One of the they said, "Well, we got this one report that runs um, in like it like takes like uh, you know 20 minutes on a large database to run this report." And I'm like, "Wow, you know that's either you got lots and lots and lots and lots of data, or else you got some problems in your code." And so, you know, they just thought, it was funny because, you know, the customer, they just thought that was just usual. Oh, well, yeah, these reports, they just take forever and ever today. And the customers are used to it. They just, you know, start the report and go off to break and go eat lunch and come back and the report's done for them. Well, so I, I just out of curiosity, I looked into it and I, to see what they were doing in this report. And they would query a, a table for all the entries in this table, which could be, you know, you know, a couple thousand. But then what they do is they iterate through each one of those entries, querying the database again for different tables to get different data. And they end up doing like three or four queries per entry in the table 
So instead of doing, so they do one end query to get the, the initial result set, and then they turn around and do three or four queries per entry, and they just explosion of, of database connections and queries that they were running against. And so they were running all this, and it was, and I told the guy, I said, you know what, I, I bet anything I can get this down to run in like 10 seconds. Because this should all be done with just one, maybe two queries to get this data out. And I said, the way it's ran right now, I, I never had the opportunity to fix it, but I was quite certain I could get that data out in just one query or two queries, and it would just scream. You know, and there's something that they were expecting to take like 20 minutes. I was like, oh, man, no, 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 this should not take that long. So anyway, back to performance. Um, one of the problems with a lot of ORM solutions is that they, they do things in a very generic fashion. Uh, you know, they'll, you say, you know, get, get a record, and they go through and they find, you know, they have to look up in a table what record you're trying to go get. They go get the data, and then they pick it out. The nice thing with generated source code is that you can generate it specific to the problem that you're trying to solve. Like the, the, my previous example, when I uh, looking at the DOM objects, I could generate source code that would that would efficiently go to a node and get data out instead of having something that would generically you know wander the the, the DOM trying to find the, the piece that it needed because it knew what was going to be in there, so it knew right where to go to go and get it. It was very efficient. That's the nice thing about generated source code, is that you can make things that are efficient. Um, it's also really easy to maintain. Um, and and we'll, we'll look at some of the generated source code. Because the generated source code is basically, it's just imagine it's what you would write if you were given the task, okay, here's a table. I want you to write a, a, a class object that interfaces with this table, that lets me you know, select an, a record out of that table, that lets me modify it and put it back in, but specifically for that table. What we're doing is we're writing generated code that does that specifically, but for all the tables. Um, so you get custom code without all the work, because it'll generate it all for you. Um, let's see. So let's, what, what does Genormous generate for you? Then we'll get into some more fun stuff here. Uh, so it creates two objects for each table in your database. Um, it creates an object for each custom query. And we'll get into what the, exactly the custom queries are. Uh, some utility classes. It's actually, what it does. This is really the only piece that's specific to any particular database. Is it cr creates a create SQL. So based on the table definitions that you give it, it'll actually create a uh, an SQL file that has all the create statements that lets you create that database that you've defined for Genormous. This is kind of a useful feature. Um, if in, in our applications, I actually have the little definition file as my authoritative source of what my database looks like. So what I can do is I, if I change it, then I create the create statement off it, and then that's how I create my new databases, is from that create statement. So that way, my authoritative source becomes my ginormous configuration. It also creates a neat little graph of the database. I, I do this by creating a, um, a graphviz doc file. Anybody familiar with graphviz? It's a great little application that links one to, it puts graphs together. It's, it's great for uh, college presentations and stuff. Um, anyways, it creates a little dot file that you can run GraphViz on and create a database. So actually, I'll show you one. Here's, here's one. We're actually going to look at this. I'm going to be playing with this database throughout this uh, presentation. But that's what it does. Is it creates a little, this little GraphViz generated file. Um, and what it's representing here is each one of these is a table in our database. And then the arrows point or show um, foreign key relationships. So um, I don't know if you can see it here. Yeah, the blue, that's the uh, primary key for the particular table. Um, the yellow background is, represents a foreign key. So in this case, we have two foreign keys. It's pointing here and one pointing to this one. That guy points down to the patron. Um, and you have their primary keys. So it's kind of neat so they can show you if you have a big complicated database. It will generate a little graph for you, and you can take a look at your database. Okay, so let's talk about uh, how we get started. Okay, we, we want to use Genormous. How do we get started on this? So we got to start with the table definition file. Now, I've, this is where it gets into the XML, and I, I don't. I wish it wasn't there as much as it is, but I can't get away from it. It's XML, it's, anyway. Um, one of the things that I'm working on right now is actually a project called uh, what was it? Um, the table creator or something. It's it, it's a little part of Genormous that actually will 
read a database. You just point it at a database, it'll read it and generate this file from the database. So you, if you already have an existing database that you want to interact with and you don't want to have to write this thing up, you can just point it at it and it'll suck all the data out and create the XML for you. But basically all this is is just a, it's, it's almost like an SQL create statement but in XML. It's got all the same information in it. So we got the name of the, uh, the table here is book. Uh, we got a column that's title, ISBN, call number. Uh, the call number is the primary key. Uh, we have a foreign key here called checked out that references uh, a different the patron table, and it tells the column that it references in it. I mean, it's pretty much shouldn't be anything new if you're if you're used to SQL. Same kind of concepts just thrown into an XML document. <coughs> see where am I at? Okay, so what happens is Genoris takes that file, and you can actually have multiple table definitions. This has just got one table defined in it. You can have multiple tables defined in this file. And it's going to take, it's going to grab this thing, and it's going to generate some classes for you. Um, these bottom two are the ones that it actually generates. This top one is part of the Genormous runtime, so that your classes end up inheriting from it. It's kind of a nice way to have some generic features to the code so that you can actually pass your, um, any one of your table entries around, because you can pass them around as one of these Genorm records if you wanted to. And then you can generically interrogate some of the information that's on that, whether you can see, well, is this entry dirty? Has it is a new entry? You can do some kind of generic, um, just get information stuff on it. Okay. So now the question is, well, okay. So it creates, first of all, so if I had a table, and I called it um, the Bob table. Is there any Bobs in here? Okay, good. Is there, it's called the Bob table. And so what it's going to create is it will create this object, which will be Bob underscore base dot Java. And then it's going to create a Bob dot Java that's going to inherit. So Bob will inherit from Bob underscore base, and this will inherit from this guy. And then this is where all the fun logic is in, is in the underscore base file. This guy is empty. Now the reason why it generates this guy, everything that it hands back will be one of these guys. So whenever it creates a, or you go and fetch an entry, it'll hand it back to you as a Bob object. And the reason for doing that is that this is the one that you can customize. It actually is an empty class. There's no methods in it at all. But you can add anything you want. You can even overwrite some of the methods that are inherited from to add functionality. Say there's a, one of the, the, the columns you want to get out is, um, or maybe, actually maybe you wanted to add some sort of a derived data say it was a book in this case um, and you wanted to say you wanted a method that says is it late well you could add that method to here and then that method could actually interrogate some, or use some of the information it gets out of here to say well is the date past the current date time and if so then return true otherwise return false but that way you can customize this and have custom features specific to that table that you can then put into your class. And this file, once it's generated, it doesn't get overwritten. So that way you can put your custom code in there and it just populates along with you and then you've, uh, works pretty good. So, uh, okay, so, so what, what does this guy got in it over here? So this guy has, it has all your getters and setters for all your different pieces of data. Um, it's got some two strings and some equal stuff, some kind of generic stuff. And then it has this little, uh, a static member called the factory. And the factory is actually defined as an inner class inside of it. Uh, that's what these are. It's a couple inner. It defines a, a result set in here and a, a factory object. But the factory is what's got all the, the the gnarly methods on it to do all your fun stuff like querying, getting objects. Go ahead. Right. Quick question. So what you're saying is that the source that Genormous uh, generates is the your object base. And your object is left alone so that if you regenerate all the code that you have in your object, still yep. stays. Yeah. Okay, so that makes it so that you don't lose a lot of your functionality mm -hmm. if you change your schema and regenerate. Yes, yes. So the, basically the question is, is about these two objects, the base object and the, the, the de derived one, the your object. And if it's not there, it gets created. But that's the last time it gets touched. So if you regenerate your code, it won't it won't overwrite that file. 
That lets you customize it to, to your heart's content. Now, this is, what I'm presenting is a little bit different than what you'll find online um, because I got some good feedback from the last time I did this presentation about how to handle these two objects. Online, it actually has some getters and setters in here, but I realized it didn't really need to be there. I moved them all out. So if you go online, just wait a little while for about a week, and I can update all this stuff so it's current. So if you see the inconsistencies, if you go online right now, that's why. Anyway, so, okay, so, uh, so this factory has all the fun little methods on it to select objects and do other things, and I'll, we'll show you these in just a second. Um, so first, let's talk about, before we get into that, uh, creating your connection and then closing, committing. One of the things Jeromus does is that it, it puts the connection onto the thread local storage so that you don't have to pass it around, which is very, very advantageous because then it cleans up a lot of your code. You can have code way down in the bowels of something, access your database without having to pass that connection object all the way down to it. So what happens here is in this GenArm data source begin, that begins the transaction and puts the connection on that thread local storage. There are other versions of this begin method that actually take parameters. So if you have an application that may access multiple databases, which is one of the ones that uh, where I work now, we have a case that one, that's one of the cases we have. Um, what I can do is actually pass in a parameter to the begin and tell it which database to point at. But that's all I have to do is just to the begin, I just have to pass it there. All the code that I do inside here, was that me? Oh, okay. <laughs> Get some weird feedback. Like, like silence came into the room or something. Anyway. Um, so all your code goes right between the begin and the, and the commit. And you can do whatever you want inside there. Um, let's, let's look at something like a simple create statement. I want to create an entry into one of my, my record or my tables. I want to create a, a book entry. And this is how I do it. So I start with... Um, I start with that, that static member, that factory. He's got all the, all the fun methods on him. So I say book.factory, and I say create. And then I pass in whatever the primary keys are for that table. Now, this is, this is kind of a neat thing about Genormous, is that if I change what my primary keys are, um, say I have a table that has, you know, they might have two or three different primary keys, depending on how my data is laid out. Well, this, this method will change accordingly. And so it'll, if I have two primary keys, it will take two parameters, which are those primary keys. This is one of those ways that lets me change my schema and find my code that's broken at compile time. Because if I change my schema and then regenerate my code, and let's say I did add a new primary key to a certain table, well, this method will then break because it'll say, hey, no, I don't have a method that was only a, this signature. I have one that has two. And I'll be able to find all my spots that I'm using it at compile time. This is very, very cool. So what I can do here is I, I just say create, and it creates me one of those book objects. And then I can just say set title, set ISBN, set whatever I want. And that's it. Because once this, this object automatically gets attached to the connection that's on the thread. And then when I get to that, that previous slide, we get out to this commit. It finds all the dirty objects that are on the connection, and it just commits them all into the database for me. And then I just close it up, and I'm done. So that's how the creates it. It's very simple. Very, very simple. Now, I know a lot of ORMs, I mean, this is similar to what a lot of ORMs do. But one of the nice things that's here, like I said, for is the, you know, my, my method signatures are going to match exactly what my database is because this was generated for it. Also, I don't have to cast anything when I'm coming off of it. Because, again, this, is, this code, this factory object was written or generated specifically for creating book objects. It wasn't generated, you know, created to create generic objects. It's going to create book objects. And so it'll pass them back as a book, which is nice. Uh, a lot of the other ORMs that you deal with, you end up having to cast off because it'll, it'll hand you back your object, but it hands it back as some generic object that you have to cast down to whatever it is you want it to be, which is, yeah, I don't like that. I hate that. So let's look at here's the find. So again, it's very similar to the, to the create. Uh, Again, we, we utilize that factory object, and we say find. Again, these are the primary keys. Whatever the primary keys are, this method's going to have a signature that matches it. It's going to go in there, find it, and I can then check to see if I actually got one, whether it's null or not, and then call some method on it say, in this case, I want to set 
that particular uh, the checked out column to null. And that's what I'm going to do on this one. Now, one of the things that this the genormus does, and a lot of ORMs will do this, but genormus will do too as well, is if I had right down here another find statement, and I did the exact same find and for the call number and got another object back for a book, and then if I check the, the, uh, the checked out field, it'll be set to null. Because what happens is inside of here, the first thing it does is it looks on the current connection to say, hey, has this object already been pulled out of the database? And it has a little cache that it puts it in. And it finds it. If it's there, it just returns the one that you had on the cache. So it doesn't even hit the database. But if it's not, well, then it goes to the database, grabs it, come pulls it out. So that's a nice little performance thing. And it gives you consistency within the connection. So if you make a change in one place in the code, it'll reflect it somewhere else. Um, <clears throat> so the, the other thing you can do with uh, the genomics is walking the tree. Now, this is not necessarily efficient, but sometimes you want to do this. Uh, I got a book object, but now I have there's a checked out column, which was the foreign key to the patron table. Well, when Genormus generates the code, it creates one a method. I'll have a, I'll have a checked out or get checked out, which will actually return me that ID. But it also generates me one with a ref on it, which returns me the patron object that it points to. So that's kind of a handy thing. If you got one little place where in your code, you always want to go and grab that object. I can go get the patron and then modify the patron all I want or do whatever I want with it. So that's the accessing your, your tables, this, which is pretty simple. Um, but now what if I wanted to do something a little more elaborate? I wanted to select some, <coughs> select some books from my database, uh, but I wanted to have some sort of condition on that select that's custom to what I want to do. Well, Genomics will let you do that, too. What we can do is we go back to that table definition file. So here's the, the definition table for, uh, for book. And, and right here would be all the, the little defines my columns and stuff. But what I can do is I can add in this bit of XML right here. That's basically I'm going to add in a query for the books table. And I give it a name, and the result type is either a single or multi, meaning how many records I'm expecting to come back. Because based on that, it's going to change my methods and what my methods return. And I'll tell you that in a minute, show you that in a minute. But then what I tell, I have to define what my inputs are to that to this query. And this one, I'm going to pass in a, a patron, and uh, which is his integer. And then here's my, my SQL. And I can put anything I want in there. Go crazy and put everything you want. The only thing that's restricted in this case is that I have to, the table that I'm, I'm defining this for, I have to label it this. Because what's happening is, is if you notice, there's no select statement in here. And Genormus is going to stick in the select statement because it wants to pull out a book entry. And so what it's going to do is it's going to pull out, like a book had a title. Well, the select statement is going to say select this dot title and something in this dot ISBN. That's what the select statement is going to look like. So the only thing you have to do is put this on this, on this. So label the, the one table that you're in this. What this does is it lets me actually do a select that involves multiple um, tables. Because I can add any other table I want in here to as part of this query. I could join tables. I could whatever I wanted to do, whatever kind of weird thing I could come up with, I could put it in there. And the other thing is, is it's basically a prepared statement, and that's how Genormus is going to use it. And it's going to put that parameter wherever the question marks are appear inside of it, just like a typical prepared statement. But Genormus does all that work for you. Um, so that lets me do that. Good question. And, and how do you specify multiple input parameters? Uh, there, multiple input parameters are specified just by putting in uh, multiple this line, just putting more of them in. And, and the order is specific to the order the number of question marks are in. So if I, had a, if I had another like thing down here that says and uh, title equals some question mark, well then I'd have another param line right underneath this one that would match up with that one. It's just the order they appear in. In order, okay. Thank yeah. You. But like I can I as many as I want. Sky's the limit. Just go nuts with it, whatever you like. But that lets you customize your queries to specifically your application. And I don't, I'm not dependent upon whatever the ORM can do for me. Um, so what happens is by adding this in here. See, I got books checked out is, is the name of my query. 
when I want to use that, what happens is this factory object now gets a method called get books checked out. And its parameters are the parameters that I specified right here. So I says, here's a patron. Okay, the first parameter is going to be the patron ID. So now it's, it generates that method for me for that query. Now in this case, because back here we said the result type is multi, what happens is then this guy is going to return a book.result set. If it was a single uh, result query, it would actually just return me a book, not a result set, which is very handy because it just eliminates the amount of code you have to deal with. You don't have to deal with the result set. You just say, go, oh, give me that, hands you the book back. So then what I can do is I can actually loop through this result set similar to a result set that you get from the uh, Java SQL package. Um, the only thing is, is that this result set, whenever time you call get record, it returns you a book instead of a, you know, a result set entry that you have to then pick apart and pull the data out of. It's going to return you a book. In this book, you can do anything you want with it like we were doing previously. I could set parameters or get stuff out of or I could walk and get the patron object or whatever I want from it. And then you just have to close the result set when you're done. Does that make sense? I haven't lost anybody? Or if I have, you're not willing to admit? Okay. <coughs> I'm trying, I'll try not to. Um, oh, yeah, cu custom query. Okay, that's what I was going to do next. Okay. So now let's talk about a custom query. Now, way back when I, I said the objects that the Genormous generates, it generates you know objects for each of your tables. Then it generates an object for each of your custom queries. Well, there's sometimes you want to just get data from a lot of different tables and re return that back. You want to join a bunch of things together and return that as, as an entry that you want to deal with. Now, these are read-only entries, just, just like the, the queries are that you make. You know, if you make a query that bounds lots of, or, you know, spans lots of tables, it's just going to be a read-only entry, a record that you can deal with. But sometimes I want to do that, and I want to just, I want to, you know, and i got some crazy queries that I can come up with that joins, you know, five, six, seven tables and pulls data from all across the, the database. So that's what a custom query is in Genormous. Now this query, this query XML looks very similar to that one we just looked at that was specific to the table. But this guy is defined outside of a table definition. <coughs> it's not specific to any one table. But what I do is I specify the query and I say, okay, I want books with category. Uh, I specify my input parameters. Now this one's a little different because I'm going to specify what my outputs are as well. My preference was when I did this was to actually get this information from here. But I, I have at the time, I hadn't found a, a decent SQL parser that would give me that information, so you have to kind of manually input it. Hopefully, sometime in the future, I'll be able to glean this information from the select statement and not kind of eliminate some of the SQL that you have to write. All right. Um, so these parameters are what's coming out of the select. And then, again, here's my, my input is, again, just this input that shows up right down here. Uh, so what happens is I write this, and, and again, Sky's the limit on the SQL that you can put in here. There's no limitation. Just whatever you want, joins, order buys, whatever, inner queries, go crazy with it. Customize it for your database. Um, so what happens here is that that generates, a Genormous will generate an object based off that query. In this case, it's books with category query is the name of the object. This does tend to get a little bit long, so you kind of try to keep your query names short because it'll make big, long names, as you see. So it creates this object for me, and I can create a new one of those. And then I have a couple of methods on this guy. In this one, I have run query, and we can't see it because it went off screen. It's about right there. So these are our parameters to it. Now, on the query, we had just a category name. So there's our category name is the, is the parameter for it. So that method is based on the inputs you defined in your uh, in that XML. So what you can do is, uh, and also the other thing too is, is if this cause sometimes you might write a query that actually doesn't return anything; it's just an update, or maybe you actually write a query or an SQL that doesn't insert, but it does, so it doesn't return anything. If you don't have any return parameters, it changes this method instead of a run query. It says run update, and then it'll return you the amount number of rows modified by that query that you pass in. Um, so what it does, it returns, in this case, it returns me back a result set 
And this is just a, an inner object of our books with category query. And then just like the previous one, I can loop through those and do whatever I want with them. But in this case, it's going to return me a books with category query dot record. And the record's going to have all of my little get title, get called, get whatever was specified right here as my objects. They're going to show up right here as get methods. I can pull those off my my object with. And and that's almost it. The other thing was unit tests. How do I want to do my unit tests? Well, in Genormus, it generates an object called uh, Genorm, Genorm unit test. Perform unit, and then there's a method on it called perform unit tests. And what that will do is run through all of your SQL statements in your code, or all those SQL statements you put in your XML, because all those get actually put into the code. If you look at the code, you'd actually have uh, strings that are in there, which are your queries that it's going to use. This method will go through and run them against the database using those test parameters that you specified here. No, not there. There. You can actually put test parameters in there. It'll take these test parameters, throw them in there, and then run it against the database just to make sure. Because what you're checking here is validating that your SQL is well-formed. It, it works against your schema. Uh, you're not necessarily checking to make sure the data comes back right. But it's going to test to make sure your SQL is right. This is this is part of the what I wanted to be able to. If I change my database schema, I wanted to make sure I can tell that my code was going to work. This will make sure that works. So if I change some column and I have a query that's based on that column, well, this will catch it. My unit test will bust on it. And let's see, go back to it. So that's how you run your unit test, which is pretty simple. And that's it. I'm going to do a little demo, show you how easy this is. Questions? Take a question? Go ahead. Um, on your Well, what do you mean by required field? Well, because you can create some, some fields that start off as null, which means you don't have to have values in them. Right. So if you, but the rest of them, you have to have a value in your space. Oh, I see. So you have a non-null. Yeah. Uh, no, that would have to take more of a system test. To, I mean, you have to write a specific test for that one. I mean, it's... You you're actually performing and you're actually creating to add that record. It actually would not catch that at compile time. No, no, unfortunately. That'd be cool if I could, but yeah, go ahead. Uh, back to the last thing you showed when you had a custom query with, uh, uh, yeah, there we go. Okay, let's suppose you uh, change the schema and you forgot to update this accordingly. At what point does that error be stopped? Is that right after I blow my nose. Record me blowing my nose, but it records the mic falling on the ground. Oh well. Um, okay, so your, your question is uh, okay, so, my, oh, so I've changed my schema and I've got this guy. Uh, say I've eliminated this column or something. Um, okay, well, this is part, this will end up being ran in part of that unit test thing. Or it should be. This guy right here. Yeah, it will. It, it doesn't right now. Running, because this, this one is right now, if you look at the code right now, it just runs the, the uh, table-specific queries, the ones we looked at earlier. It, this runs all those. I'm going to change it so that it runs these guys, too. So it'll, it'll go through and fire those against the database as well. So that way it's all very easily just to make one line here, run all my queries, and it'll just go <laughs> crank through them all and run them. So what will happen is that if, I, if I've eliminated this guy and I run this, there actually should be a test parameter on this one. I didn't put a test parameter on here to, to, to run into it. It'll run that, stick the values in there, run against the database, and it'll get an exception back, and I can see, oh, hey, 
yeah, I don't have that anymore. And I can fix all my problems before I actually go into a system test or kind of thing. Any questions? Go ahead. tried that specific scenario. I have used, uh, which is kind of similar to what I think you're saying, is I've used views. And I've created views in my database. And I've, and I've put views inside of my custom queries. So I mean, anything you could do with a Q SQL query normally, you could do it here. So all the data, I mean, because it's just, this is a, this is basically going to be a prepared statement that it's going to throw in. And so if you could do it with a prepared statement anyways, you do it right here. Because this is what it's going to be. So it's, that's a nice flexibility of it. I'm not, maybe I'm not quite sure exactly what you're asking, though. Talk to me afterwards and, and about it, because I, I think we can. I think I can, but I'm not. I, one of the things, maybe this, maybe this will answer it. I actually made a, a way of passing parameters that are not, that are actually substitutions. So, for example, say you wanted to order it by uh, this and ascending or dis descending. Um, you can actually do a little, it's a little string replace. There's like a, I think it's like a percent something or other, a little token I can put in here, and then make that a parameter that I can pass in. So I can modify the SQL on the fly by passing in either ascending or descending. That's one of the things you can do with this as well. I'm not sure that totally solves what you're talking about, but talk to me afterwards. We'll look at that. Go ahead. To some degree, it is. Um, well, you can't really override the methods that are on the factory object because it's it's part of the you know it's defined as part of that base class. Um, so all the find and create you can't really override anything there, but you can override some of the you know, your getters and setters stuff. But you're just getting information out of the, the object. You can override that. Uh, but you probably could. I mean, it's it's actually very flexible, and and I'm realize I've just kind of tuned it for my application. Which, granted, I use it against two different databases, um, and it solves my problems very well. But I, I think it can be very easily adapted to solve more generic problems. One of the things I want to do, and and knowing some use cases like this would help, uh, is let people kind of mix in custom code to the generator, so that you could say, hey, I want to put this right here, and then have it when it generates the code, it takes your custom code and throws that into the generated code and lets you do some of your own fun things. So I'd like to do that. So let's, uh, let, me, let me run this demo. I mean, basically the demo is just going to show you, starting with a blank project, we're going to show you how fast and easy it is to, to get this thing up to speed. And what we're going to do is, actually right here, here's a looking at my, my, op, my project. Uh, I have a, just a little teeny project. I've got a database running that has populated with some of those books and stuff, the same database we're looking at. Um, the only thing that's in my source tree right now is this Java file. There's nothing in, under my ORM. I mean, I'm starting from a clean slate. And here's my, my, my clean app class file. And the only thing I've got in here is inside of my main, I call it initDB, which is this guy right up here. And I'm just creating my SQL connection, my uh, my SQL connection, and then I this sets that in a static member so that it can be attached to the thread. So I'm taking that uh, data source and sticking it on a someplace where my 
my begin and end statements can get to it. Um, and then down here, so down here what I do is I begin my transaction, and then I commit it and close it. So right now it's got no, no body, no nothing, and that's all that's in this project. I do have in here, uh, here's my table definition. So I've defined my tables in my XML, uh, and that's what I'm starting with. So what you see is what I got, so I'm starting with. What I'm going to do, first of all, is um, is I'm going to run my this this little uh, build script that's going to run and oh, oh boy a whole bunch of errors that I didn't want to see my goodness wow okay uh, maybe we need to clean this first let's try that again please work no okay live debugging here for just a second. See what in the heck just went on? Oh my gosh, that's huge, dude! An exception. Mm. Okay. Uh, bugger. Actually, I think that's it's complaining about my tables file. Um. Dang it! I swear I ran this just like just before I got here. Am I in the right directory? Wow. What happened to it? Hmm. Obviously, we need to work on a little bit of the error handling in my code. But um, it, I, think it's, I think it didn't like this XML. But I don't see anything wrong with this XML. I'm kind of afraid I might have done like a little typo on it or something. so weird because I just before I came here. Does that make everybody dizzy? Mm. Looking at that? <laughs> That's very strange because I ran this just before I got here. Question. Is it trying okay. to pull the, uh, the doc type definition live? You're right. Thank you. Oh, good. Yes, you're right. I bet you're right. That's a stupid piece of my Yes, it's the parser. You're awesome. You get a star for the day. There we go. Okay. Thank you. You're awesome. Now, okay, we go back to our little project and we can see that it populated a whole bunch of uh, my objects in here for those for those things. I got a book. I got a book base. There's my little create statement. Yeah, there's some of the utility classes and it's got my patron app thing in there. Cranking low on time, so let's show you what we can do here. No, that's not what here. Okay. So what we can do here now, we can just do like we were talking about. Let's say book. Um, actually, what we want to do is let's just let's see if we can just list all the books in our in our our system. So we're going to say uh, this should be say result set dot factory. That little keyboard. Uh, then we can say, let's say select. There's actually a select, so if you wanted to, you put a generic select statement right here. But we're going to say pass in null, and that's going to say give me like everything. Fortunately, it's not very big. Next, and then we'll just go here, and we'll say, oh, let's do this. RS.get record. Now, what that is going to return to me, maybe I should just do this just so you see. Um, it's This is going to return me a, a, a book object. And I can then take that guy here and just say, system out print line book. And one other thing I have to do is close my thing. So then I can go back over here and say, and it should compile all that stuff. And if I didn't fat finger anything, wow, dang it! Oh, that would probably be because I need to start my database. 
crazy me. Okay, there it goes. Let's try that again. Try to run, can't find a database. Yeah, there it is. So, I mean, they, they can see that was like from start to finish. Blake application, I've got my arm up and running. I like to see anybody trying to do that with anything else. Okay. If you can, we'll leave. I don't care. <laughs> um, so this what it does is actually kind of interesting is that whenever it does a two-string on one of these things, it prints it out in kind of an XML attribute-ish type view. So it makes it really easy if you wanted to make XML out of your tables. It makes it really easy because the, the two-string kind of gives you a title equals all that little SQL, uh, yeah, little attribute funness. But that's it. I mean, start to finish, there you go. Generate all. One of the neat things, too, that they're going to show you here. So if you wanted to look into um, my ORM, let's just like look into a find statement. Like for finding my base. Here's my create. So this is my book factory right there. And we'll go down here. Here's my create. Let's go down to my find. Find right there. So there I pass in my, I pass in my, uh, my primary key. Uh, first thing it does, it creates a little temporary book, and it's going to call this. This is this is going to check the uh, my my cache that pulls off my connection cache to see if that guy's already been pulled out of the database once before. And it says nope. Well, then we're going to write here. Hey, there's our prepared statement. It's going to start putting our prepared statement together and pulling that guy out of the database. I mean, right there within one method call. That's another thing. It's like you look into those a lot of the ORM solutions out there, and you're like, oh man, I need to debug what's going on. Well, you look into their find statement, and it's like this black hole. You know, you're, you're like 50 layers down before it actually starts to talk to the database. The nice thing about this, it's right there. It's very easy to understand what's going on because it's it's just it's one method in. You can, and this is all code that it generated for you so that you can actually it'll be inside of your source project. You can go in there, take a peek at it, say, oh, there's my prepared statement. Oh, yeah, okay. I see it set my string. Uh, oh, okay, now it's doing the actual execute query. Then it's going to initialize my new book object, and it's all right there, so you can take a look at it, so you can see what's going on and manipulate it. If you need to tweak something, you can see what's going on. Because there's a lot of things that happen. I find is that you you need to find you've got some sort of weird database anomaly with your code that's taking you know performance away from you, and you got to go find it. And it becomes very difficult if trying to find it involves going through that black hole of stuff. This it's right up there for you. You can take and peek through it. Uh, but I am like, shoot, right at time, I'm sure. Any other questions? I mean, I'll hang around if you want to talk about some of this stuff. But that's it. Come here. Thank you again all for your attendance, and we'd like to uh, thank Brian Hawkins for his presentation. We'd also like to thank our sponsors for this room, Nobel and the OSTC. Please go visit their booth. Um, I do have surveys up here. If you will, go ahead and fill one out if you'd like to. It's certainly voluntary. And uh, we hope you have a nice day. Thank you for listening to Hack the Public Radio. HPR is sponsored by caro.net. So head on over to caro.net for all your hosting needs.